Good morning, Gospel Life Church and all those who are joining us online. We're so glad that you have joined us to study God's Word and uh, hope it'll be an encouragement today. We're going to be studying in Isaiah chapter 60. Um, we've, we were in Isaiah chapter 66 uh, as we celebrated Mother's Day. And so we're going to be staying in Isaiah for a few weeks uh, and working through these, these last few chapters here in the book of Isaiah. And today's sermon is titled, Waking Up to Future Glory. So I hope it's an encouragement to you. And I'm going to be reading our text here from Isaiah chapter 60. So hopefully you've turned there and are, are ready to follow along as I read. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they all gather together, they come to you. For sons shall come from far, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bear, bring good news and praise of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you, and the rams of Naboth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance upon my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to the windows? For the coastland shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he was made, he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls and their king shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy upon you. Your gates shall be open continually. Day and night they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of nations with their kings leading in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflict you shall come bending low to you, and all who despise you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations and shall nurse at the breast of kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold, and instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze, instead of stone, iron, I will make your overseer's peace and your taskmaster's righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall no more be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord, and it's time I will hasten it. This is God's word. 
Let's pray. Father, we come and we thank you for the opportunity to study this glorious text and to see how glorious you are in, in your love and care for your people and the glory that you seek to bring to them who trust in you. Lord, I pray that as we, as we acknowledge we are sinful human beings, but we are trusting in your mercy and grace that comes only through Jesus Christ for our salvation and our hope for eternal glory is bound up in our union with him. Lord, I pray today that your word would encourage us and strengthen us in this time. We pray for uh, our dear friends Manuel and Jenna Sanchez as they seek to transition uh, out of ministry here in Joliet and uh, plan to head to the Dominican Republic, that you would just give grace to them as they plan, as they transition, give grace to their church, Iglesia Camino Cielo, as they seek to transition, give them godly pastor to take uh, Manuel's place. We also pray for, pray for New Life Church in Lubumbashi in the DRC, uh, that you would continue to give them wisdom as they seek to, to meet and minister your word uh, during this pandemic with, without uh, the, the technology uh, that, that we have uh, available to us to do so virtually. So give, give their leadership wisdom in that. We pray for the Curtis family as they continue to, to make plan, furlough plans and, and try to determine how best to, to uh, use their time as, as all their plans have just changed with this pandemic. Continue to give grace to them and wisdom. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, our main point is you are to live in thankfulness to God for the joys of future glory. As we look to the future, our heart should overflow in thankfulness for what God has not only done for us, but the promises of what he will do in the future. Now, in this last section of the book of Isaiah, God is speaking to his people about the assurance of future glory. The northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel is split into two kingdoms, and the northern kingdom is now in exile uh, by the Assyrians. We can think of Nineveh, uh, the prophet uh, Jonah as he goes to Nineveh. And so it's in that time period. And the southern kingdom has also experienced loss to Assyria. Some of their people have also been taken into captivity, yet, yet they have not been completely destroyed as a nation. And yet as God, through the prophet Isaiah, begins to speak about exile, um, he's not actually speaking about Assyria, but rather one that's going to come later under Babylon. And so we have all, all the way from chapter 40 to the end of the book of Isaiah, we have a prophesy of, of future events. And in turn, God's desire in giving this to his people is so that they might hear it pre-exile and so they would respond in repentance and faith. But, but in turn, as they head into exile, that they would read and study and be encouraged by this text during their exile, and then as they're brought out of exile, that they would rejoice in, in fulfillments of some of the future glory promises that are found here. And yet, as we saw last week, the prophecies here envision and encompass much more than just the nation of Israel and even the Babylonian exile and, and the future glory that comes from the return of exile. Rather, we see here that God also envisions here in his prophecy the coming of the anointed one, the Messiah, who we know as Jesus Christ, and the eternal state of God's people. So in Isaiah's day, they may have all been understanding these texts to be one event, uh, describing one thing that's going to happen, and, and really in their minds, this return from exile. And yet... Well, we find that as we look back on history, we see that they were not one event. 
that there was a return from exile, but then later um, there was the coming of the anointed one, and we are still waiting then for the eternal state when, when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, will return and we will live in eternity with him in glory. So we're, so in light of that, in light of the fact that there are these multiple, these multiple events going on, which, you know, you know, as God speaks to the prophets, they just see the mountaintop of those events without understanding the valleys in between. They just kind of see those events and I think they might be linear or they might be occurring at the same time or close together. And yet because they are not, what we can say is that the intended recipients of these prophecies are not just the nation of Israel and the Jews at this time, but all believers. So that the future glory of of Israel's return to the joys of God's favor are not just return from exile to a physical Jerusalem, but ultimately this bringing of all of God's people into the eternal Jerusalem that awaits all of us in the future. And so therefore, these promises and this future glory is for the church. So, a few questions as we look at this text. First, I have to ask, why can you experience the joys of future glory? Why is it possible that you or I could experience these future glories? Well, the first couple texts give us a clue to this. Here we see, we read this important word when we're looking for reasons why um, the, the word for. We see it twice. We see it in verse 1 and we see it in verse 2. He starts off with two imperative verbs, two commands that we're going to look at in just a moment, uh, that he calls his people to, arise and shine. But why? Why do they rise and shine? It says, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And then in two, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. And hopefully this reminds you of what we've been studying in Colossians chapter 1. It's going to be verse 13, where we read that God the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, who is our Redeemer and the forgiveness of sins. I mean, this here ties so neatly in with that. And so, why can we experience the joys of future glory? Number one, God has given you the light of his glory. God has given you, and that's what we see right here in the first four, for your light has come. Now, light is paralleled here with glory. We see the second phrase, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So the light coming, glory coming, these are parallel. So we're meant to understand them as together. So it's the light of his glory that is being given to us. And that's what we see. It's coming. It's being placed upon us. It's not something that is inherent to you. It's not something that is in you. It's not your own personal, internal light that you generate. Rather, it is a foreign light from outside of you that God has given to you so that you might shine. Um, we can consider like the, the difference between sunlight and moonlight. God is like the sun that generates its own light. But we are like the moon. So our light is a reflection of the light generated by the sun. We are given this light of his glory so that we might then what? We might then shine 
the light of his glory, just like the moon shines the light of the sun. The second thing we see here is this God-given light has moved you from darkness to light. And that's really the second four there, verse 2. This light stands in opposition to the darkness that covers the earth and all the people of the earth, which would include you, except for the fact that your light has come from God to you. It's been placed upon you. God's act of mercy and grace here in, in bringing light to bear on those of us who were in darkness. Now, maybe you're listening today and you have not yet seen that light. Well, we're going to get into that in just a moment. Help describe this light for you that is so glorious and so good that brings his people out of darkness. And hopefully that today would be the day of salvation that you you would receive this light of God toward you. It is truly his revelation of his glory to his people. And so while we all begin in this light or in this darkness, we all begin there. We, we are meant to arise and shine. Why? Because we're no longer part of that darkness, which we see there in verse 2. So he talks about the darkness, the thick darkness over the people, and then, but the Lord will arise upon you. His glory will be seen upon you. This light has been given to us. So that's why we can experience the joys of future glory. But how, then, should we respond to this light? So if we've been given this light, how are we meant to respond to it? Well, as I said, there's these two imperative verbs here, these commands, right in verse 1, that we're to arise and shine. So arise is this idea of, of getting up or of waking up, and that's where the title comes from, waking up to future glory. We're meant to wake up to what God is doing. So maybe maybe you think about the, the phrase, rise and shine. You know, that's the kind of the idea here. We're to get up and get going. And so how do we wake up? How do we get up? Well, throughout the book of Isaiah, the call has been to God's people who have been living in disobedience, living in sin, is to repent and believe. Like we read in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for, the, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's actually the call throughout this book is that they would come and rest and trust in, in, in the anointed one, the Messiah that Jesus would give. And we can see this just in the previous chapter. Jesus is the redeemer and the forgiver of sins and that sin must be repented of and the gospel must be believed in. And we look at verse 1 and we see, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save or his ear dull that he cannot hear. It starts with God and who he is. He is the eternal God who knows all things and can do all things. But in turn, what do we see in verse 2? We see sin. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. The, the fault is not with God. The fault is with humanity and in our sinfulness. We have turned from God. In fact, you go to verse 15 of chapter 59. 
Truth is lacking. He who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. There's no truth. There's no justice. And so what does God do? Well, the response is Jesus Christ. Verse 16, he saw that there was no man. And he wondered that there was no one to intercede. None of us are good enough. None of us are able to intercede on our own behalf because we're all sinful. What does it say then in verse 16 of 59? Then his own arm brought salvation. His righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And according to their deeds, so he will repay them. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastland he will render repayment so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream which drives the wind of the Lord. And a redeemer will come to Zion. To who? To those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Here is the description of Jesus Christ, the only one who could come and save. Why? Because he was God Truly God and truly man. Truly God, sinless, perfect. Truly man, able to die for mankind. And so Jesus is sent to be the redeemer, to buy us back. And what does it say here about it? That all those who will turn from their transgressions to this redeemer will be saved. Sin must be repented of. It must be turned away from. And, and, and Jesus and his gospel must be believed in. So turning from our transgressions to the Redeemer in faith and belief. That is the response that we should see in this arising. That we should wake up to this. And, and it's not just for those who have never heard the gospel or, or who are still... Uh, dead in their sins. It is definitely for them, but it's also for us as Christians as well. There are times when we forget who our Redeemer is. We're, we're living life for ourselves. And what is the call? Wake up, Christian. Remember, repent of these the, of the, the, the sins of your heart and of your mind that have led you to, to dismiss or take for granted the work of Jesus Christ in your life and rather wake up and turn back to him. And then in turn, the command is to shine, to get to doing what you need to be doing. And what is it that we need to be doing? It's showing this light of the glory of the Lord, displaying who our God and Savior is. How do you shine or how do you show this light? By living your life all about the glory of God. By expressing your satisfaction, your joyful gratitude in his glory. And and in the fact that you have entrusted to him your future glory. In fact, that's what we see in verse 5. It says here, Then you shall see and be radiant and shine and your heart shall thrill and exult this idea of of just joyful satisfaction overflowing in us when we understand what god has done and 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 therefore it radiates out of us we share the light of the gospel of jesus christ with others and so we're called 
to do. That's what we're meant to do, to give ourselves to that. Now we got to remember that, that while the you here is corporate and it's referring directly to Jerusalem or Zion, but indirectly speaking of the church and the, the eternal state of the new heaven and Jerusalem, all, all of these corporate entities are made up of individuals. And these individuals have to live in faith and obedience. So there's meant to be faithful, obedient Jerusalem. And there's meant to be a faithful and obedient church. And what's that mean? Is that the people that make up, make up God's people in Jerusalem as the church are meant to be people who live faithful, obedient lives, who are satisfied, satisfied with what God is doing and how God has saved them and in turn radiate that satisfaction to others. So we see arise, we see shine. But then verse 4, we also see another uh, set of imperative commands. We see lift up your eyes. So lift up your eyes all around you and see. So we're meant to look up. Look outside of ourselves. I think it's easy, especially when we're contained in our own home and cut off from some types of communication with others. It's easy to become self-centered, self-focused. He's saying lift up your eyes. Lift them up. Stop looking at yourself. Look to me. Look to what I'm doing. Look to what you've been called to. And then see. See, and what are they meant to see? The joys of your future glory. Verse 5 declares that you shine more joyfully when you're looking at and you're considering the joys of future glory. Then you shall see and be radiant. Verse 16. We see there. What does it say there? That this... That seeing the joys of future glory will help us what? Know God better. Last half of verse 16, and you shall know. Because of all these future joys that we're going to look at now in just a minute. Because you see all of them, you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. So how should we respond? Arise. We need to wake up, we need to shine, we need to get, get doing what God is calling us to do, to show Him the light of His gospel to others. We need to lift up our eyes, looking away from ourselves to what He's doing, and we need to see. We need to take time to study what God is doing and what God is planning to do. We need to see the promises of God in all their fullness. And so it leads us to... The third question, what are the joys of future glory? What are the joys of future glory? I have four of them here. First of all, the fruits of effective evangelism. Here we see in verse 7, verse 9, verse 13, we see God talking about the beautifying of God's house. And how is it beautified? By the bringing in of all these people. And I see in this text two type of people. First, devoted people of God. These are devoted people. And we see this in, in this, this concept of, of wealth and tribute being poured out uh, on Jerusalem, on 
God's people. Here, tribute is this display of devotion and honor and loyalty, a humility under the sovereignty of another, service to that. And so these are devoted people of God. These, these are not people who are half-heartedly giving themselves to God and to his kingdom and to his gospel. No, they are giving of themselves in, in devotion to him. The nations that come are placing themselves under the complete authority of King Jesus. They are giving of themselves. It's described as the abundance of the sea is given to them. The wealth of nations in verse 5 talks about multitudes of camels, gold, and frankincense, which, you know, a side note, I believe this the verse is fulfilled when the Magi come and present their presence to baby Jesus and affirm Jesus as King and as God. Here's this devotion being demonstrated by these people. Ships from Tarshish in verse 9 coming, foreigners building walls. But the gates are open and they're coming in with their wealth. They're coming in to give of themselves. So all through this text we see see this tribute just coming in to God's kingdom. And given, given out of devotion to their glorious God and because of this, we because we see these this these complete heart change of people's lives, so that they give of themselves. Verse sixteen pops out. So we know then that the Lord is our Savior and our Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Because how else is this done? How else are people's hearts changed, so that they are devoted to Him? That's because He is Savior. He is Redeemer. He is Mighty One. But in turn, we also see diverse people of God. We see here in verse 6, Midian and Ephah. That's the son of Midian listed in Genesis 25.4. These were descendants of Abraham through a, a, a different wife other than Sarah after Sarah died. And we read in like Judges 6 that the Midianites were the enemies of Israel during, during the judgeship of Gideon. And yet what do we read here in Isaiah? That they are coming in as part of God's people. We read Sheba. Sheba is a, a foreign country. We might remember that the queen of Sheba came and visited Solomon. And here what do we see? Sheba is being brought in. We have this um, Kedar and Nabioth, who are descendants of Ishmael. So Ishmael, the, the, not the child of promise. Isaac is. And yet what do we read here? That now these children who are not part of the promise are brought in this diverse people of God, people from everywhere are brought in. This is the fruits of effective evangelism. It actually changed hearts and it crosses all barriers to bring people to God. Not only that, another fruit or the joy of future glory is God's overflowing provision. In verse 17, we read of how God will give us more than what we need. Instead of bronze, he will give you gold. Instead of iron, he will give you silver. More than what we need. Not only that, the second half of verse 17, we read that our overseers will be peace and our taskmasters righteousness. We'll be ruled by peace and righteousness. In verse 18, we'll not face any more violence. There'll be no more, no more devastation, no more destruction, because God's overflowing provision provides for us. This is our future glory. Not only that, God's eternal presence. So the third one, God's eternal presence. We see this in verse 19 and 20. 
that the sun shall no more give light by day, nor the moon. Why? Because the Lord will be our light. We will always have God's light. His presence will be with us continually. And, 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 and I mean, that's true now. He will never leave us or forsake us. But, but this is visual. Like, he will be there and we will never have to even doubt if he's there or not. I mean, sometimes we struggle with that. I struggle with that. Because God abandoned me. In my misery, I will think, has God forgotten about me? Where's God? I, I don't, I'm not recognizing his presence right now. And yet, the truth is the truth, and God is faithful. Even when we are faithless, he is always with his people. But here, the promise is visually, that's, that's our future glory, that we will be in the presence of God for eternity. That's good. And in turn, in being, with the presence, in being in the presence of God, I love the end of verse 20. And your days of mourning shall be ended. That you will always have God's light and you will never mourn again. This is the joy of God's eternal presence. The third thing is God's full pleasure. In verse 21 we read, Your people shall all be righteous. You will be righteous completely, purely. Sure, positionally, we're righteous right now in Jesus Christ, but one day we will no longer ever sin or struggle with sin. And there won't be any question, Lord, how can you love me? How can you commit yourself to saving me as wicked as I am? Because... Our righteousness is not in ourselves. It's in Jesus Christ. And one day we will be like Jesus, completely righteous. And we will never be cast out. God's full pleasure in us means we will never be cast out. Look at the end of verse 21. You are the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. As such, he will not cast us out. So that what? The least one? Not, oh, you're the least. Uh, I don't know. We can't take you. No, what does it say? The least will become a clan. The smallest one, a mighty nation. There is, there is no reason to ever think that God will ever cast anyone of us out because of the least he's going to make much of. He is going to find pleasure in. And our future glory is all God's doing for his pleasure. I mean, that's, that's part of that little phrase there at the end. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. I will bring it to be. Because Why? Because this is my pleasure. This is for me. Your future glory, all the good that I'm pouring on you is so that I might receive glory. Therefore, I will do it. And there is no doubt that's meant to be in our minds that God will bring about the joys of our future glory because he has bound his pleasure to them. And that is gloriously good. Hopefully these future joys are an encouragement and a strength to you in this time. Which moves us to our last point, connecting to everyday life. How can we connect these to everyday life? Well, first, wake up to the reality of your future glory. Study this text. Study God's word. Look for the good news of the gospel and its eternal results and stake your life on them. As 
Paul said, I count all things as, as lost, that I might know Christ, that I might be in Christ, united with Jesus Christ, that that's where our future glory resides. All this, all this that we see in Isaiah 60 will come forth because we are united with Jesus Christ, because he is our Redeemer. He is our Savior. Second thing, meditate on one aspect of your future glory. I would say take one of these here. Take the fruits of effective evangelism. Take God's overflowing provision. Take God's eternal presence. Take God's full pleasure and just seek to meditate on it. Go into these texts and then, and then allow them to remind you of other texts or use uh, use your cross-reference and, and look up other texts and just be encouraged by the full, full pleasure that God's going to take in you or the, the internal presence that you're going to have with Him or the, the overflowing provision that He's going to give to you. Like you, you think of like Revelation, that the, there's no more tears. He will wipe away every tear. Maybe that's something you need to meditate on and be encouraged by in this time. The fact that there will be that there'll be no more lies, that there'll be, there'll be no more falsehood, there'll be no more violence, that there, there would be the rule of peace in your existence, in your future glory. Take time to meditate over this. Third thing, express your gratitude for future glory. Never underestimate, dismiss, or take for granted your need to express your thankfulness. A thankful heart is a joyful heart. God doesn't need our expressions of thankfulness. It doesn't ha somehow complete him in any way. But realize this, our own hearts need our thankfulness to God. And God is glorified. God is worshiped. God is praised by our thankfulness. But our own hearts even need it. We need to be pulled away from all the things that are distracting us and trying to, to get at us saying they're going to be our pleasure and we need to be reminded that, that truly, truly our, our unity with Jesus Christ and the future glory that is to come is what is, matters more than all these other things. And that I can be content in life without any of them because I have Christ. I have a future that I will spend in eternity with him. So express your gratitude for future glory and then the fourth way we can connect to everyday life is share the joys of future glory and how to gain them. Think of one person, one person who needs to hear about the joys of these future glory and how they can gain them through Jesus Christ, through repentance and faith in Christ alone. And now think about when and where and how you can share that with them. You know, not, not necessarily trying to force it, but at the same time, not being shy about it either. Taking up the opportunity to share the truths of what God has done for us and what we look forward to in the future. I mean, this is the call of every believer to do. Maybe if you're here to, today and you're listening to this sermon and you don't know this, I would encourage you, reach out to us. We would love to share more about uh, the gospel and the the future glory that awaits all those who put their trust in it. There's a slide at the end of this video uh, with our contact information. Please contact us. We would love uh, to work through this with you. Father, we thank you so much 
for your goodness and for your grace, for the reminder of the glories that await us We put our trust in you. Uh, I pray that we would live, live lives that express our thankfulness for these future glories. And Lord, may it be soon. Come quickly so that we might live with you forever in joy and peace and righteousness. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our benediction uh, here in May is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Thank you so much for joining us today in our study through Isaiah 60. Again, if you have any questions, we do have contact information here at the end. Uh, please feel free to contact us. Any questions, um, any prayer requests, we'd love to be praying for you. God bless.